Thank you for downloading and listening to the Briam Bible Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Briam Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at www.bereanshoreline.org. As we begin, I want to say thank you to the worship team, especially to Kimmy and Michael. Many of you may not know Michael. There he is. Michael's our drummer this morning, and Michael and Kimmy are getting married in less than two weeks. Yeah. Uh, so be praying for them in the next week and a half or so, and, and onwards. Uh, June is a great month to get married. In fact, I will not be here next Sunday because Rachel and I will be celebrating 10 years of marriage next Sunday. It was right, up, right about here. That's right. Right in this spot, about, about 10 years ago, just a little less than 10 years ago, we got married. I think this is the spot. There was tape on the floor then. I don't, they didn't keep that up there for me. So anyway, congratulations to you guys. It's very exciting, and, and we'll be praying for you as that um, gets closer. I want to invite you to open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 12. We're going to begin there today. We have been working through the book of Hebrews and looking at this, this story of this community of faith that has been going through, through hardship and struggle and, and these instructions that this author has for them as far as how, how they ought to understand who they are and what God is doing in the world through them and with them. And then, and then how are they to respond to the suffering and the persecution that is coming their way because of their faith in Jesus Christ. And so as we've been looking at this, we, we've just finished over the last couple of weeks this, this passage of Hebrews chapter 11, which is this big passage going through all of these people from the Old Testament and examples of faith that, that these Christians here can look to and, and see as examples. And so we're going to pick up in verse 4 this morning. But let's have a word of prayer before we read. Father, we just ask as we open your word together, may we hear the things that you have to say to us. May we be challenged by them. God, we just ask that you be working through your spirit, through these words, that we may live more faithfully for you because of the things that we see. Pray this in your name. Amen. Okay, Hebrews chapter 12, beginning in verse 4. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And you have completely forgotten, and have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as children? It says, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline, and do not lose heart when he rebukes you. Because the Lord disciplines those he loves, and he chastens everyone he accepts as his child. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate children at all. Moreover, we have all had parents who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live? Our parents disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. 
Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Make level paths for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. So we have this passage in which our author is telling us, endure hardship as discipline. And there are a couple other passages in the New Testament that have a very similar a sim- very similar message. And I want to take a look at them, and then I want to talk about, about these passages. Because if you're like me, there's, you might, have, might take some issue with some, some of this. So uh, as a starting point, let's just flip probably one or two pages over in your Bible to James chapter 1. Just, to, just keep going to the right. The next book is James. And James begins his letter after he introduces himself. He begins his letter... Verse 2, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And then one more, back to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. Paul, in verse 3, begins, Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. So we have these three passages here talking about suffering and hardship and trials and, and in each of them, we are being encouraged to, to embrace these things. Paul says here in Romans uh, that, that we glory in our sufferings. And in James, he says that you, we are to consider it joy whenever we face trials of many kind. Now, I don't know about you. We, we've actually been looking at James uh, and, in Acts on, on Thursday nights. And we, and we came across this passage. And I had this thought then, too. And, and every time I, and we come to it now in Hebrew, is the same idea. And I think, how many of you don't like this, this passage or this idea? <laughs> yeah, okay, good. Some honest people. The rest of us maybe are trying to be more spiritual than, than, the, than the others. But yeah, I come to a passage like this, like the Hebrews passage, like the Romans passage, the James passage. And I think, I don't, I don't want to consider it joy when I face trials. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I don't want to glory in my suffering. This, this is the worst. And, and we come to a passage like this and we think, okay, yeah, I'm probably supposed to, and maybe you're familiar with this passage, and maybe you've had somebody quote this passage to you in the midst of your suffering, which, is, which makes the worst even the worst, right? Like, oh, okay, now thanks for the guilt trip. I feel even worse about it. When we come across, we, we don't like this idea very much, if we're honest with ourselves, that we, that we find joy in suffering, that we, that we embrace hardships, that we, that we glory in, in trials. And we, th- we come across, we come to James, we come to Hebrews, we come to Romans, and we're like, okay, thanks, uh, but I don't really, really want to do that. And, and so we, we kind of, maybe we feel guilty about it, or, or we just say, I'm just not going to do that. Like, that, that's probably great for some people, but, but that's not me. Like, I can't, I can't do that. 
Because operationally, when we face trials and suffering and hardships, it's kind of a real hassle, isn't it? Like, our, our lives are hard as it is, and, and now we have something harder coming along, and it makes things difficult, and, and maybe it's a conflict with, with a coworker or maybe it's a conflict with a spouse. Maybe it's our own fault that we're in the midst of this trial because we've made some pretty dumb choices, and now we're experiencing the consequences. Maybe it's in the context of Hebrews and really in the context of James and Romans, they're talking about physical suffering persecution because of the message that they are preaching. This is, this is I mean, verse 4 of the Hebrews passage. In your struggle, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Which the implication is that's, that's probably coming at some point. So when we, talk, when we think about our own hardships and sufferings and trials and we think, I don't really want to find joy in that. And then you take an example of these, these people in Hebrews who are experiencing probably loss of, of relationships, loss of family members, loss of possessions, possibly loss of life. And our author comes along and says, hey, consider it joy. Like, we don't, we don't want to do that. Mostly we just think it's the worst. And we, we want to go on thinking, this is pretty bad. And we want to, sometimes maybe we want to just sit in it. And we want it to end. But we don't want it to end. We want it, the, the pain, the trial, the suffering to, to end in a way that now we, we consider it joy after we've faced trials of many kind, right? And we've come through it. And that's, that's when we can say, okay, yeah, great. Uh, we, made it, we made it to the other side. And we, maybe we can look back and say, yeah, this was, this, there was, God was doing something here. But in the midst of it, it's just, it's just the worst. And I think, I think when we come to the Hebrews, I, maybe the Hebrews passage is, is most in line with what we think, okay, this, this makes sense for how I relate to hardship, how I relate to to struggle because in verse 7 he says endure hardship as discipline god is treating you as his children for what children are not disciplined by their father and and i come to that passage and i think okay this at least the author of hebrews is being a little bit more realistic about it right because hardship equate is equated with discipline when i think of discipline i think of of like punishment right or or consequences to my choices and I think that's, that's a better way or that's an easier way for me to approach this idea of struggle and hardship and trials. It's like, okay, there's, there's consequences, there's punishment. Something, this, this hardship is happening to me because of something that I have done and now I'm facing the consequences. God is trying to, to correct me because of a mistake that I've made. And so I think, okay, that... that maybe fits a little bit better with how I want to approach the idea of suffering. But this is actually not what our author is saying when he talks about endure hardship as discipline. We've just come from Hebrews chapter 11, where there's been a series of, of men and women who have been held up as examples of faith. And these are people who, who demonstrated faith because when they didn't know what was happening, they didn't know the 
what the future was going to hold for them, but they followed after God anyway. These are people who, uh, who endured loss. These are people who endured all kinds of hardships, suffering, persecution. And these are the examples. And, and nowhere in this, this story, Hebrews, is, is our author telling us these people endured this hardship as a consequence for what they had done. And God was shaping. No, in fact, it's in the midst of their faithfulness, in the midst of their obedience, they're also enduring hardship. And, and what our author is not saying is, okay, endure hardship as discipline, endure hardship as punishment. But instead, there's, there's really two ideas that are, are being brought out, in two, two metaphors that are being brought out. And, and the word discipline, I'm not going to tell you the Greek word, but uh, just because you don't need to know that. But it really has two, it, it really carries a, a couple connotations. First of all, it carries the connotation of training, right? And we think of, when we think of maybe discipline outside of a correcting context, we think of maybe discipline as, as like exercise, right? Like you, you learn a discipline in your, in your career. You learn a skill. Or maybe we think of an athlete who is disciplined in their workouts, in their efforts, they, they show discipline. It's, it's, a, it's a daily routine of doing the work, doing the training, doing the exercises so that you can be prepared to perform well when the time comes. And this is really one of the ideas behind this word discipline that, that is being brought out. And, I mean, think about your own jobs. Think about the first day on your, your job, where, whatever it happens to be. Or maybe... Maybe that first week, or your first your first day in school, if you can think back that far. Your first day, you you've come to a, in school, you've come you you get your textbooks, and you open up your textbooks and you say, okay, one plus one equals two. Like, got that one nailed, right? Let's start at the beginning. But you ever flip to the back of one of your math textbooks when when the class was just starting? You flip to like one of those like late like 30 units in sections and you look at that and you think there's no way I'm going to be able to do I don't even know there's x's and y's and and all kinds of things I thought we were doing numbers here like what's going on right and and you start on day 1 and you think how in the world am I going to be able to do those things in in a, a year and yet you work through week by week, by week, by week, by week, by week, by week, until you finally, you're building skills so that by the time you get to unit 35 towards the end of the class, you're like, oh, I can do this. I learned all of the tools that I needed to learn. And in your job, the first day on the job, did you know everything that you were supposed to do in your job the day that you got there? Do you know everything you're supposed to do in your job today? <laughs> no, Right? How many of you make mistakes in your jobs? Yeah, all the time, right? And, and what happens when we make mistakes? We fix them, right? And we learn not to do them again, hopefully. And this is the idea behind discipline. It's, it's a learning. It's a correcting. It's, it's beginning to develop proficiency in a specific skill. 
in, in a specific ability. In, in athletics, Alex was talking to us this morning in our Sunday school class about this idea of athletics. And that when you're, that, that each day as you're training to, for a race or for a fight or for whatever it is that you're doing, there, there are daily decisions about how you're going to, am I going to do it this way or am I going to do it this way? Am I going to respond to this adversity in this way or am I going to respond to it this way? And this is discipline. It's a choosing daily to, to take a path and to take a course and there are boundaries. And then the other example, and this is, and so this, this word is, is being used in that example and then it's also being used with, with children. And, and as, as a, a former child, still a child of my parents, but when you're a kid, I think especially a passage like this, you're like, uh, the, what, what is the verse I was, we were reading? Uh, Moreover, we have all had parents who disciplined us and we respected them for it. Yeah, right. <laughs> what child is saying, well, I know you're grounding me today, but, and I really respect the choice that you're making to take away these privileges because you're my parent and you're doing what's best for me. Right? Like, come on, parents, yeah. No child thinks that, right? And, but afterwards, maybe, if you have some perspective, and, and again, your par- I mean, your parents are not perfect. Maybe they did punish us in some ways that were not helpful. But, but the point of, of parenting is that they're trying to guide their children to, to see a perspective that maybe, maybe the child doesn't have. And they're trying to help them move to make more right choices and, and maybe learn from the mistakes that they've made and help them along a path. And sometimes that discipline comes across as harsh, right? I, I noticed this the other day. I mean, I've noticed this before, but I have this, this voice that I turn into or that, that I get when I, things get really serious for my kids and they just like respond right away. It's like the dad voice or moms, you probably have this too, but there's like something is happening right now. Like the other day, uh, Henry was walking around the house with these toy cookie things and I was helping Sam finish up in the bathroom and Henry comes following us in and, and washing Sam's hands and Henry comes over the toilet and he's about to like lean into the toilet with the cookies and he's like going to throw them in and it's like, Henry, don't do that. No, no, no. And then he gets serious and he stops and he looks at me and he walks out of the room and he goes and finds mom and starts crying, right? <laughs> like you get, and, and you have this, right? This, this moment where things get serious and, and obviously like if he threw the cookies in the toilet, who cares? But, but you have this moment that you're, you're trying to help your children make right choices, and you're trying to help them along to guide them. And you're setting, up, you're setting up boundaries for your children. Not because you don't want them to have any fun, which is what it seems like as kids. Kids, it seems like they don't want you to have any fun. But really, they're doing it because they love you. And they want, you, they want to help you along. So that when you are an adult... And you don't have them around anymore. You can make those right choices on your own. And this is the idea behind discipline. 
It's, it's the creating of boundaries and, 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 the, and the work and the training so that then you can be released into the world and, and not throw things into the toilet when you're, when you're an adult, right? That, that, you can, that you can make the choices that you need to make to thrive in the world. And our author here is telling us, he says, our parents, verse 10, our parents disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, which is, is just a reminder for us as parents and for kids. Your, your parents sometimes know what's best. Uh, they think they know what's best sometimes. Uh, but we, we get it wrong too. And it's a reminder that as parents, we approach this parenting with humility as we seek to guide and and train our children but also he says but god disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness and the contrast here is that that god knows what is good in our discipline god knows what we need and god will not be too harsh with us beyond what we can bear beyond what we can handle sometimes it may feel like that and sometimes uh, we may feel like the, the discipline that we are enduring uh, causes us to run to mom with tears in her eyes. But, but God is not going to go too far in the discipline that he will provide for us. And the point of this, the point of this is that, that we may share in his holiness. This word holiness is this idea of being set apart. That we may be people who are set apart for the work that God is doing in the world. That we may be people who are set apart in a way that we represent the gospel well in the world. And that, that what's happening in our, in our hardship, in our suffering, in our trials, is that God is working to, to strengthen us as people of faith. This is the whole context of what we've been looking at in chapter 11 and the beginning of chapter 12. Have faith in the midst of the uncertainty, in the midst of the unknown, in the midst of the hardships. If you go back to, to Hebrews chapter 10, look, at it, look again what it is that they are experiencing. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 32. Remember those earlier days after you had received the light. When you endured in great conflict full of suffering, sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You suffered along with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had a better and lasting possessions. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he promised. Verse 39, but we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who believe and are saved. And this community is in, is in such a point of, of, of tension and, and a need to make a choice. What's going to happen in the, in the face of this hardship? How are we going to respond? And so our author launches into Hebrews chapter 11 and we read about Abel and Enoch and Noah and Abraham and Moses and all of these people who, who remained faithful. And at the beginning of chapter 12, he says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, this is what we looked at last week, 
Let us throw off everything that hinders the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. And he's saying in the midst of what's, what seems like the worst, I mean, this is hard. Look at all of these examples, these witnesses, these people who, who bear witness, who testify to the value of endurance in faith. But not just looking to them, but looking to, to the author and perfecter, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. The one who gives us the supreme example, who for the joy set before him, there's our word joy again, right? The joy set before him, he endured the cross. Because he knew that something greater was coming. He endured this opposition. And so as you endure opposition, do not grow weary and lose heart. But instead, understand this opposition as a way in which you are being formed into people who have the capacity for a greater faith in our world. People who have a capacity to, to carry the name of Christ well, even in the midst of persecution. Who do not walk away and say, this is too hard, but, but can, can know that God is still working and God is still faithful. The kind of faith that he's talking about requires courage. It's not just, as we've, as we've repeated again and again, this kind of faith is not just a, yes, I believe that. That's, okay, what's next? But it's a faith that requires us to live out daily in the midst of trials, in the midst of hardship, in, in the midst of all of this, so that we then can become more equipped to be more faithful, to be, to be better representatives, to be better participants in God's redemption of the world. He's inviting us to partner and to proclaim this redemption. Not just to the people who show up on Sunday mornings, but to our world. And what often happens is when we, when we come across hardship and suffering or trials, or sometimes even this, what seems like small things compared to this persecution they're suffering, what often happens is we come across those things and we throw up our hands and say, it's the worst. And we complain about it and we say, like, consider it terrible when you face trials of many kinds. Like, that seems like... And, and we, we, we don't give our world a perspective of a people who know that God is in control. And who know that God is working in our midst. And who know that, that the cross and the resurrection are true. And that God is working and God is, is continuing to work. We don't give our world that perspective that we believe these sorts of things because we're in the midst of something hard. And we don't want it to be hard anymore. And so we throw up our hands and say, oh, this is hard. 
I don't want to consider it joy. But our author, author is trying to help us see, okay, this thing that is hard right now, it's part of your training. It's part of the, the, the boundary and the guidance that you're being given so that you can become complete. The, the, the James passage we looked at, the goal, he says, is maturity, right? Which is, which is hopefully the goal of our training for our children as well, maturity, that they can, can make these choices themselves. Alex was talking to us about this morning about the way in which we the way in which we train. And and he mentioned well so is Eric in here? Eric Coppola? Hey there Eric. Eric and I are gonna run a half marathon in a couple weeks. And Eric has done it once before, I have not. And so we've been working on this. We've been running, obviously, that's how you get ready for that. But we've been running, and and the, this is like we have this training program that we're going through, and and there are some days you run shorter distances, some days you run longer distance, all trying to build yourself up to to be able to do this race. And there are sometimes, so I've been running in the mornings because I try to run and come back before people are awake and and things like that, so that so that. I'm not leaving my wife to say, hey, good morning, I'm off for a run, take care of our kids, you know, uh, trying to help out. So I run in the mornings, which is, frankly, the worst. I'm not a morning person. <laughs> and yet I've been doing this. And, and sometimes what happens is my alarm goes off in the morning. And I think, oh, today's, just, today's just like a shorter run. I probably don't have to do that. Um, and... Or today's a really long run. I'm, I'm going to be gone. Maybe I'll try to do it tonight. Like there are all kinds of excuses, right? And, and for those of you that have done any sort of training of anything, there are all kinds of excuses that you can make. Like I'm not going to practice today because whatever. Yeah, I'm going to go rearrange my shoes. Or like you, we can find all kinds of excuses to not do the training that 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 we want to do. But what happens is if we if we skip and then you find yourself you skip a little bit more and then you skip a little bit more and then all of a sudden you're just you're not going to do it you're not ready and and some of the the daily mundane choices are critical for the ultimate goal of being able to complete this race. And as Alex was talking to us about this, he he brought this to this example of this is true in in all of our lives, in every aspect of our lives. So within our marriages, there are daily choices that we have the opportunity to make or not make. Am I going to choose to serve my wife today? Am I going to choose to respond to, went to, to own up to my mistakes? Or am I going to choose to, to defend myself so that I can win the argument even though I know I'm kind of a little wrong? Or am I going to say, yeah, I'm wrong, but here's what you did too? And, and this, is, I mean, this is true in our, in, in our jobs. Do we cut corners? Say, I'm not really 
I'm going to, I'm going to maybe shirk on this responsibility or I'm going to say that I worked an hour, but really I only worked about 45 minutes and I'm going to find a way to, to extend what I'm going to do. And I'm going to try to find, and, and in our relationship, in the way that we parent, sometimes it's easier to use the dad voice and just get the thing done that you need to like get your shoes on. But it, but it actually is harsher. And can we, can we do it? With, is there a way to get the shoes on that is loving and kind and, and actually helping uh, our children grow? And in so many aspects of our lives, there are, these, there are these daily, small choices that in the grand scheme of things seem insignificant. Right? Like, I'm running 13 miles. I don't need to run five today. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to run more tomorrow or something. Like, I... I'm mostly doing a good job here, so like cut me some slack. And yet the, the purpose of the training is that we make these small choices of faith, small choices of trust throughout the day, throughout the week, small choices of discipline, of faith. In things that seem like nobody's going to see this, it doesn't really matter, like this is just between me and God, this doesn't hurt anybody but me. And we make these choices and they build and they build and pretty soon we're not equipped to run the race because we've been making and shirking on the small things of discipline. And in the, the invitation for us in the midst of hardship, in the midst of struggle, and when things get hard, is to, in some way, find joy. And to see that there is, to, to see the perspective that God is shaping us towards something greater. And to, to endure the discipline, and to have a perspective that God is disciplining us, God is shaping us, He's, he's guiding us towards something good something better and then as we as we close here verses 12 and 13 maybe if you're like me you're reading you were reading those verses and you thought well what do these have to do with anything <laughs> therefore hebrews chapter 12 verse 12 therefore this is the consequence as a result of all this strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees Make level paths for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. Uh, this, this is actually a quote, or part of this is, is coming from Isaiah chapter 35. So we're gonna, I'm going to have you turn all the way back to Isaiah 35, and then we're going to end there. Hebrews is a letter written to a Jewish audience who would have known or at least been somewhat familiar with the Hebrew Scriptures. And so our author is quoting and, and referencing this, this passage in Isaiah chapter 35 that I think is, is helpful for me, at least as, as we end here. He's writing to a people who, who will soon be in the midst of exile. And they, again, people very similar to the people in Hebrews who are, are losing everything. 
And he's offering a promise. And, and we'll just begin in verse 1 of Isaiah 35. The desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it. The splendor of Carmel and Sharon. They will see the glory of the Lord, the splendor of our God. Strengthen the feeble hands. Steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong. Do not fear. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand will become a pool. The thirsty ground bubbling springs in the haunts where jackals once lay. Grass and reeds and papyrus will grow. And a highway will be there. It will be called the way of holiness. It will be for those who walk on that way. The unclean will not journey on it. Wicked fools will not go about on it. No lion will be there. No ravenous beast. They will not be found there. But only the redeemed will walk there. And those the Lord has rescued will return. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them. And sorrow and sighing will flee away. Here in this passage in Isaiah, it begins with the desert and the wilderness. And oftentimes, our trials and our sufferings feel like desert and wilderness. It seems like we're isolated There's no signs of life nearby. But the author of Isaiah, Isaiah, uh, and the author of Hebrews are using, he said, they both say this, strengthen feeble hands, steady the weak knees that give way. That in the midst of what seems hard and, and you seem, you seem lost, you feel like I cannot take another step. I cannot go any further. He gives them a a perspective, a hope, a reminder that God is still working. God is still in control. God is still faithful. And that there is there is a future time that is coming where where the valleys will be filled once again. The thirsty grounds will be bubbling springs. So he says, be strong. Do not fear. Your God will come. And as I think about the way that I often respond to hardship. Because I just want to, just kind of want to sit down with my weak knees and my feeble arms and say, that's it, I'm, I'm done. But Isaiah, author of Hebrews, be strong, do not fear. Your God will come. And maybe today... Those words seem difficult for you to believe. Maybe your life seems more like a wilderness and a desert. The promise of Isaiah, the promise of Hebrews is that God is faithful. He is still working. And so the choice today uh, might seem like 
the kind of day where it's like ah, it's six in the morning. I don't want to get up. I don't want to. I don't want to do this today. I don't want to. I don't want to live faithfully. I don't. I like to just kind of take sit this one out. And our author of Hebrews is reminding us and saying, "Hey, God is working in what's going on here." And he's shaping you and he's using you. And there's more to come. And so to those with fearful hearts, uh, we say, be strong. Do not fear. Your God will come. Let's pray. God, as we as we look at these words and and we know them to be true, yet we look at our own lives and oftentimes it feels very difficult to to own them as true. And so we ask for for the courage to step forward in faith in the midst of our hardships, in the midst of our trials. God, maybe it still feels like joy seems pretty far away. But God, give us the strength and the eyes to see the ways in which you are disciplining and shaping us and guiding us. And in that, to just trust. We, need, we can't see the end. But as Pastor Jim reminded us last week, we can see the cross. We can see your son. And we look to him as an example for, for our faith. Knowing that you, God, are faithful. Amen. Wherever you are, whatever uh, discipline seems to be happening in your life, whatever hardship, uh, my prayer is that you may know this week that, that God's arms are outstretched waiting for you and open for you. He will not leave us or forsake us. He is faithful. Amen.